morning, Africa, and welcome to Daybreak Africa from the Voice of America. I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington. Today is Monday, April the 11th, and here are some of the stories we're covering for you this morning. Nigeria's national electricity grid collapses, leaving many parts of the country, including major cities Abuja and Lagos, without power. When power goes off, it's like a total blackout and no light, no uh, people are not able to pump water, so that's, and that's like water shortage. That is Adiola Odunowo, a Nigerian entrepreneur based in Lagos. In Gambia, the final results of the National Assembly elections have President Adama Barrow's National People's Party winning in 18 constituencies, followed closely by the United Democratic Party with 15 seats. Because previous elections were not held during Ramadan, on, on Ramadan days. So Ramadan might be also a contributing factor to the low turnout. In Tanzania, citizens call for measures to control rising prices on cooking oil and other products as the cost of living rises. We'll have those stories and sports coming up right here on Daybreak Africa. Stay tuned. And for our top story this past weekend, Nigeria's national electricity grid collapsed, leaving many parts of the country, including major cities, Abuja and Lagos, without power. This was the second major outage in a month. Records show that Nigeria's power grid, which serves an estimated 117 million people, has experienced multiple extensive power outages in recent years, often resulting in widespread blackouts. Nigerians are now calling on the government to adapt renewable energy solutions to the constant outages that affect their homes and businesses. The blackout actually happened around the country. It was like a national blackout, except for maybe some parts of, of Abuja, which is like the seat of government. The, the blackout went around because I called. I was in touch with some people in Ogun State. Some people up north, everybody had the same experience. That is Adeola Odunowo, a Lagos-based entrepreneur. He describes what happens during a power outage in Nigeria's commercial capital, which is also Africa's largest metropolis. When power goes off, it's like a total blackout and <laughs> uh, no light, no LP. people are not able to pump water so that's and that's like water shortage and of course the diesel prices go up because more and more people have to now own their generating sets to, as alternative power supply many nigerians are now turning to alternative sources of energy including solar to power their homes and businesses lucy essien is a nigerian reality tv star and entrepreneur she says that power issues are exacerbated by the fuel shortage in the country. Um, at a stretch, we can actually lack light for like four days straight. And then with the fuel scarcity now, I, I've bought fuel every single time, 4,800 naira, and it lasts for just two days. So imagine the money that is going into just being able to have constant light in my house. That's a small generator that is just carrying maybe one AC, one fan, and maybe a fridge. 
that's it and it's already costing that much if solar is considered and actually implemented in nigeria it would really go a very 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 long way because it's it's fresh there's no noise there's no um suit there's no need to buy anything all you have to do is just wash it so maintenance is really really low studies show that the nigerian solar market is among the fastest growing in africa however that it still has a long way to go if it is to serve the needs of the majority of the country Victor Bessie runs a solar energy company in Nigeria. He encourages people who are impacted by the blackouts to invest in alternative energy sources that might seem costly in the beginning, but often have long-term benefits. Solar is one of the most sustainable renewable options out there. Solar is an asset. Solar is not a liability. One of the biggest plus customers get for going solar is how it helps with noise pollution and environmental pollution. In Nigeria, much of the investment in green energy has been a private sector-driven initiative. However, the Nigerian government says that it plans to install 5 million solar home systems and mini-grid to serve over 25 million people. I believe that renewable energy isn't even the future anymore. It's the now. In Gambia, the final results of the National Assembly election were announced Sunday morning by the Independent Electoral Commission. The results have President Adama Barrow's National People's Party winning 18 constituencies, closely followed by the United Democratic Party, UDP, with 15 seats. According to the commission, 962,157 people were registered to vote with 492,754 ballots cast and voter turnout put at 51.2%. The figures show a massive decline from the nearly 90% voter turnout registered in last December's presidential election. This was the second parliamentary vote since the fall of ex-president Yaya Jame, who lost the election in 2016 and was forced into exile in Equatorial Guinea in January 2017. For more on what the results mean for Gambians, I'm joined by Sene Marena, editor of Alcamba Times, a Gambia-focused digital news platform. Uh, so, Seni, what do these results show about what the Gambians want in their leadership and the direction of the country? Um, thank you very much, Jackson. As you uh, rightly mentioned, Gambians uh, went back to poll uh, since the last presidential election. That shows uh, incumbent uh, President Adam Abaro uh, winning in a landslide election. Uh, yesterday's vote was also very crucial because... Um, the National Assembly members uh, from 53 uh, seats were contested. And out of that, 19 was won by uh, the National People Party of uh, President Barrow, while 16 seats goes to the opposition United Democratic Party. That was the main backer of President Barrow in a 2016 uh, presidential election. So uh, the yesterday's uh, vote... Um, uh, so a mixed uh, feelings in Banjul uh, because many people believe that President Barrow, uh, with his landslide uh, victory in December 2021 president's election, he would have had absolute majority uh, in the parliament. But unfortunately, he lost uh, major ground to uh, independent candidates and the opposition United Democratic Party. So uh, this is uh, showing you that the president is losing uh, some popularity among Gambians. And what explains the low voter turnout? Uh, the low voter turnout, according to local media, is attributed to the fact that people are losing confidence in the electoral system. Because uh, during the last uh, 
presidential election, there was 90% voter turnout, and people were expecting that the parliamentary election will also uh, witness a high vote, voter turnout. But unfortunately, because of uh, what happened, a lot of uh, opposition supporters or opposition parties claimed that the last presidential election was reached by the ruling uh, NPP. So they lose some hope that you know the same thing will happen in the parliamentary election. So many people decided to stay at home. Another um, uh, another attributing factor, according to local media, uh, might be as a result of the holy month of Ramadan. You know, Muslims are currently observing the holy month of Ramadan. So, and you know, it's always tough for people to go out when they are fasting to exercise their civil responsibility. So, some people believe Ramadan was also a contributor because previous elections were not held during Ramadan on on Ramadan days. So Ramadan might be also a contributing factor to the low turnout. That was Sene Marena, the editor of Alcamba Times, a Gambian-focused digital news platform. I reached him in Seattle, Washington. Tunisians on Sunday took to the streets to protest against President Kais Sayed, accusing him of imposing a one-man rule after he dissolved parliament last month. A political crisis in the country intensified last month when more than half of the members of parliament held an online session to revoke Sayed's decrees. Many members of Tunisia's parliament also participated in the protest, which took place with a heavy presence of anti-riot police. The Kenyan Treasury on Thursday announced the budget for the financial year 2022-2023 starting in July. The 30 billion US dollar plan comes 2 months earlier than usual, so parliament can approve spending before the end of its term ahead of general polls in August. The budget has been met with mixed reaction from political leaders as Ateno Odiambo reports from Nairobi. This comes at a time when fuel shortages continue to bite, with major towns reporting long queues at the few filling stations. Last week, Treasury Cabinet Secretary Ukuri Atani read the last budget under President Uru Kenyatta's tenure at the National Assembly Building. The budget is expected to continue to allocate funding to President Kenyatta's Big Four agenda, which is aimed at boosting manufacturing, universal health care, housing and farming. The announcement comes as many Kenyans are still struggling with a slowing economy affected by the COVID-19 pandemic, drought and the war between grain exporters Ukraine and Kenya, all of which have sent prices for basic commodities skyrocketing. Yatani, however, maintains that the budget is friendly to citizens and high taxes have only been imposed on unessential and luxury goods. I confidently assure you that this is a manager-friendly budget. You will see for yourself that whatever we are proposed to do is for the greater good of the Kenyan public. The issues where we are raising taxes, uh, we are raising taxes, things that you know have been a social problem to our community. Look at issues of gambling. Look at issues of betting. Look at issues of advertisement for alcoholic products. They contribute revenue, but you know they do not contribute the social fabric of our uh, uh, community. The Kenyan youth are very fragile, and therefore they need to be uh, protected from too much exposure in terms of. Uh, those social devices that are going to derail not only their education but even their health. 
The budget has been met with mixed reactions from Kenyan leaders. Those allied to the president are welcoming it, while those allied to the deputy president are critical. Ndindi Nyoro is a member of parliament allied to the deputy president. He disagrees with the treasury minister's remarks that the 2022 budget is friendly to the ordinary Kenyan. He says the budget did not meet the expectations of Kenyans. It depends with the definition that Waziri gives to Mwananchi. If Mwananchi are the people in leadership who are insulated from the many problems the real Kenyans are going through, then that can pass. But if Mwananchi is the Mwananchi that we know, this budget is very far from Mwananchi. It is full of inconsistencies. The figures that he gave in terms of GDP growth do not tally. But also, Waziri did not meet the expectations of Kenyans. As you know currently, the problems with the people of Kenya now, number one is the issue of cost of living. Number two is the issue of unemployment. There is no special thing that he talked about that is solving these two problems. The 2022-2023 spending plans come two months earlier than usual to have them deliberated by the members of parliament before their exit after the August general polls. President Uru Kenyatta's last budget will be implemented by his successor as it is barely four months before the end of his tenure. Atieno Odhiambo, VOA Daybreak Africa in Nairobi, Kenya. Daybreak Africa continues. I'm Jackson Vonganye. In Tanzania, as prices go up on cooking oil and other products, citizens are calling for measures to control the situation as the trend contributes to the rising cost of living. Our correspondent Ed Uwesu has more from Dar es Salaam. In this market in Dar es Salaam, a number of vendors are busy preparing food for their customers, although there is few to be seen. The vendors here says price hikes are harming their businesses, as one of them, Maria Makisi, explains. She says that they buy cooking oil for more than $3 per liter, and it has really affected their businesses, homes, and even their customers. Another food vendor, Regina Ngeleja, says that the price of cooking oil are so high that she can't make a profit. She explains that they are paying now at least two and a half dollars for wheat flour, and during this period of Ramadan, it's hard to survive. Vendor Ali Salum, who makes and sells pizza, says he had to raise his own prices because of the increasing cost of the ingredients. He says that with the previous price of a half dollar per pizza, he could not afford to keep on running the business since cooking oil and wheat flour prices have gone up. So he raised the price to one dollar, but fewer customers are coming. So he is asking government to intervene. Retailers who sell groceries says transportation costs are contributing to rising prices. Athmani Kindokile, who owns a retail grocery, says the price of fuel is affecting his business. Uh, he says that the price of goods has gone up and so they must raise their own prices to manage transportation costs. Pasco Sule is a political and economic analyst. He said that the government should intervene to reduce prices and the cost of living. 
He says that the government has to reduce its excise duties on some basic commodities like cooking oil and wheat flour and come up with a policy to combat the price hikes. In Dar es Salaam, a liter of petrol sells for $1.23, up from $1 last month. According to economic experts, prices are likely to continue to raise, especially after the government announces new petrol and diesel prices this week. Reporting for Daybreak Africa, I am Idi Wesu, Dar es Salaam, Tanzania. The reluctance of many African countries to condemn Russia's invasion of Ukraine has caught many observers of Africa's international relations by surprise. Last week, Nigeria, South Africa and Kenya were among a dozen African countries that abstained from a UN General Assembly vote to suspend Russia from the UN Human Rights Council. The resolution passed, though several countries with historical ties to Moscow, including Ethiopia, Angola and Zimbabwe, voted against the move. A Nigerian international relations expert says Russia's invasion should be condemned because it violates international law. It's also a threat to global stability and should be a source of concern for African countries. Mike Mbonye reports from Lagos. David Awarawo is a professor of international relations and strategic studies at the University of Lagos. He says Russia's invasion of Ukraine is a violation of all post-World War II treaties. The invasion of uh, Ukraine by Russia a little over a month ago is a violation of international law to the extent that uh, the avenues for peaceful resolution of the, of the conflict were not exhausted before Russia went to invade Ukraine unprovoked. So um, it's a violation of international law, it's a threat to international to global stability, and that is why it is concerning to all lovers of peace around the world. And that's why world leaders have responded uh, with sanctions the way they have. Awarawo says Russia's invasion of Ukraine should be of concern to African states. In Africa, too, we have uh, very big states surrounded by not too big ones, small ones, in terms of uh, economic ability, in terms of uh, uh, military capability, and you know, other indices of power. For instance, Nigeria's population, its economic uh, resources and all that, is almost equal to that of the other 15 countries in West Africa. Nigeria is about 200 million. West Africa is a little less than 400 million. Uh, the same as South Africa also is to Southern Africa. So to the extent that uh, African states uh, you know, have unequal power and strength. Awarawo says African states should be concerned about the need to maintain global stability and international law. He says diplomatic avenues should be used to resolve differences and conflicts to prevent the Russia-Ukraine experience in Africa. This is Mike Mbunye for VOA News in Lagos. Now it's time for Daybreak Africa Sports, and with that, we go to Abuja with Samson O'Malley. Good morning to you, Samson. Good-
Good Monday morning to you too, Jackson. We begin the sport with the news that South Africa's Leod Harris was eliminated in the first round at the Clay Court Monte Carlo Masters on Sunday. Harris, who entered the tournament ranked 40th in the world, lost 4-6, 7-6, 7-5, world number 57, Martin Fokosovic. Harris was coming off his best performance at the Masters 1000 event when he reached the last 16 at last month's Miami Open. In Basketball news. The Basketball African League's second stopover got underway in Cairo on Saturday and will end on April 19th with 15 exciting matchups at the Hassan Mustafa Indoor Sports Complex in Cairo. The Nile Conference opener had the host team and 2021 ball champion Zamalek of Egypt beating Cobra Sports of South Sudan 80 points to 63 points. In athletics, Victor Kipchuchur defended his Eldoret City Marathon title on on Sunday, winning in a time of 2 hours, 13 minutes, 10 seconds to become the first athlete to defend the Kenyan-organized Eldoret City Marathon. Michael Mutai and Joe Spart Bet played second and third in 2 hours, 13 minutes, 23 seconds and 2 hours, 13 minutes, 58 seconds respectively. Emily Chibet Kipchumba took the women's crown as she ran 2 hours, 29 minutes, 58 seconds to beat Shailene Jipkori and Lillian Chibet. Laggett, who finished in second and third place. In boxing news, Emmanuel Tego of Egypt failed to impress as Ryan Garcia claimed victory in his first fight for 15 months with a dominant points victory at the weekend. The American lightweight extended his record to 22 wins with no defeat with a 119 to 110, 119 to 110, 118 to 109 victory over Tego. It was the first time Garcia boxed the 12 round distance and the first time he fought past 10 rounds since a pair of 10-round decisions in 2018. And now to Egypt, where Zamalek Vice President Mustafa Hadhoud has resigned from his position a few days after he was caught stealing a medal. Zamalek lost the Handball Egypt Cup final last Friday to Sporting Club of Alexandria, who secured the first title after winning 33-30. A video emerged following the game showing Hadhoud putting a gold medal in his pocket. Following the incident, an emergency board meeting was held on Saturday morning to discuss what happened and resolve the issue. A few hours later, Hadhood resigned from his position, effective immediately, despite claiming to have taken a silver medal and not a gold medal. And finally, Sudan has been confirmed as host for the Sekafa Under-20 Championships, which will also act as the zonal qualifiers for the Under-20 African Cup of Nations. And that's it on Daybreak Africa Sports. I am Samson Omale in Abuja, Nigeria. It's back to you, Jackson, in Washington. And that's it for this edition of Daybreak Africa. We thank you for spending this morning with us. For more African news and features, visit our website at voanews.com. Connect with us on all social media platforms. We are on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and on YouTube, where you can watch our videos. Until next time, I'm Jackson Vungani in Washington, wishing you a great week ahead, Africa. VOA brings you the best in African music on the African beat. African beat showcases the latest and the greatest of contemporary African music. From bobo music to hip life, bonga flavor to sukus, Afrobeat to Dumbolo and Makosa to Kwaito. The African beat on VOA has it all. 
and it's happening right here. Mondays through Fridays at 09.05 and 20.05 UTC right after the international news. Hello, I'm Douglas Simpoga, host of VOA's Reporters Roundtable. Join us every Thursday as we discuss important African topics and events. I'll have a panel of African journalists and expert guests to discuss the topic at hand. We take a deeper look at important after news topics. That's Reporters Roundtable every Thursday at 1730 UTC, right here on VOA Africa. Sports fans, brighten your day by tuning into the sunny side of sports Monday through Friday at 1630 and 1830 UTC. Join us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash VOA Sunny and on Twitter at VOA Sunny Sports or check out the blog at blogs.voanews.com forward slash sunny. It's the sunny side of sports right here on the Voice of America. Hello, Africa. This is Peter Clotin, host of VOA's Africa Weekend Show, Nightline Africa. Tune in. You will be glad you did. Nightline Africa is a fast-paced, tightly edited news show designed to keep our listeners engaged from beginning to end. Nightline comes to you live from the Voice of America on the following shortwave frequencies, 60-80 kilohertz, 49.3 meter band, and 15-580 kilohertz. 19.2 meter band.